This is an ABC podcast. This is Baby Talk Podcast with Penny Johnston. Have you ever felt you didn't fit into your family? When I was a kid, we spent a lot of time wondering if we were adopted, especially when we were disaffected teenagers whose parents never seemed to understand us. But these days, if you question how you don't seem to be a natural fit with your family, it could turn out that you really don't fit, that you're one of many thousands of children conceived by artificial fertility. I mean, if they didn't tell you, how would you know if your parents used donor DNA? Donor conceived people have none of that. We don't have any truthful birth certificate which records our biological parents. In fact, there is no mechanism by which you will discover the truth about yourself if your parents do not tell you. There is no birth certificate, there's no government agency that's going to ring you up once you turn 18. There's no automatic notification process unless your parents tell you or you find out by accident, which is almost inevitably unpleasant. This is exactly what our next guest went through. Sarah Dingle was born into a loving family with parents she adored. And then she found out that her biological father was not the dad she knew, but an unidentified sperm donor. To say that her world fell apart makes it sound simple. But Sarah charts her search for answers in her book called Brave New Humans. And it's compelling and very relevant to anyone who's thinking of having a child using donor DNA. It's a fierce argument for always telling your children the truth from the very start. But firstly, let's meet Sarah. Sarah, how do you start introducing yourself and telling your story? Well, I say I'm donor conceived and then the person at the dinner party will say, oh, right, when did you find out? And I say 27 and they go, oh, wow, that's late. And then I say something along the lines of that's the least of what I've discovered. And it's true. Being told that I was donor conceived was a massive shock, but honestly, it pales into comparison compared to what I found out over the next 10 years. Part of the story of finding out at 27 was that possibly you were never going to find out. Mm, that's right. Look, we know that lots of people never realise that they're donor conceived. Society these days tends to talk about donor conception as something very recent, which is used by only single mothers and same-sex couples. Neither of those two things is true. In fact, in the West, donor conception has been practiced in a medical setting for more than 100 years. In Australia, it has been offered in fertility clinics since at least 1940. And the vast majority of people who have accessed donor conception are heterosexuals. And the thing about that is heterosexuals can lie to their own donor conceived children because they can pass as the child's biological parents. And there have been studies showing that up to 90% of heterosexual commissioning parents will not tell their children that they are donor conceived. Did any of that research go into examining why? Look, there have been a number of, sort of papers on this. It depends on where you are around the world, but there are many commonalities with fertility clinics. And one of them is doctors have told parents not to tell to go away and pretend that the treatment did not happen, that this is their naturally conceived child. And the temptation to lie, to make life um, ostensibly simpler, although in reality far more complicated, 
is is present for heterosexuals because they don't have to tell the truth. If you're in a same-sex relationship and you use a donor, for instance, an egg donor, to conceive your child and, you know, you're two men, well, the child's going to work out that they have a biological mother somewhere. So it doesn't make sense to lie. But in heterosexual couples, you can and they do. Yeah, but, but why? Uh, because it's probably easier for them to pretend to all and sundry that this is their own biological child. I mean, certainly they will never have to have any difficult conversations about, well, where is my biological parent and how can I talk to them with their own child. The thing is, some commissioning parents feel very threatened by the thought that there is another one or perhaps even two biological parents of their own child out there if they used a donor embryo. They see that as a threat to their own status as parent which is entirely unnecessary because, first of all, we know that, and society accepts that in many other situations, kids can have more than two parents, um, step families, blended families, whatever. But the other thing is that although there's a lot of scary media coverage, donor-conceived kids are not in any way legally the children of the donors. There were laws passed many years ago which severed us from our biological families and they were all about ensuring that we could never hit up our donors for money so insofar as people thought about us at all they thought we would be some sort of <laughs> um, financial drain on their circumstances but I can have all the theories in the world as to why people lie to their children but ultimately I think you need to ask those people because all I can say is the evidence shows that we are lied to and I know hundreds of donor-conceived people in Australia and thousands around the world. And we are lied to. I can tell you that we are lied to. But as to why, you're going to have to ask a parent. This is not new. I mean, lots of people who had been adopted, I guess, finding out that they were adopted often came as a shock. Yeah, some people are late discovery adoptees. But there's some key differences. One is that across Australia and in many countries around the world, all adoptees have the right to know their biological origins, to have, you know, the records of their adoption opened if they were ever closed and to access their original birth certificate or to have a single integrated birth certificate. Donor conceived people have none of that. We don't have any truthful birth certificate which records our biological parents. In fact, there is no mechanism by which you will discover the truth about yourself if your parents do not tell you. There is no birth certificate. There's no government agency that's going to ring you up once you turn 18. There's no automatic notification process unless your parents tell you or you find out by accident, which is almost inevitably unpleasant. Mm. So do you think that your story would be different if you'd known from the start? Yeah, it would have made a difference. It would have made a difference to... It would make a difference to any donor-conceived person to know that they were donor-conceived right from the start because, first of all, whatever you grow up with as a child is normal. So there's, there's no shock, there's no strangeness, there's no kind of crash associated with the discovery. Um, and secondly, you know, studies show that kids who are told young, like so young that they actually can't remember not ever knowing um, anything different, uh, they do better on 
all sorts of measures. So they are less likely to be angry, less likely to feel a sense of betrayal, less likely to have negative feelings towards whichever of their parents took it upon themselves to disclose the truth. Uh, so they, they do better on all those mental health markers. And I think if you want the best for your child, uh, you need to give them the best start in life possible, which means telling them the truth right from the start. People listening to Baby Talk wouldn't necessarily know, but I've grown up with a genetic experiment of my own. My sisters are identical twins, and I've really seen the perhaps the manifestation of DNA in those two people, and they have the same DNA, but they are extremely different people. I mean, donor conception is the DNA. Your mum still carried you in her womb, and your dad still spoke to you from the very first time you could hear. Is it really saying that the donor DNA has the same place in your life as a parent that bore you? Well, this is the nature versus nurture debate. And before I give any sort of answer on nature versus nurture, I would like to say that it's not for anyone else to tell a donor-conceived person how much or how little fully 50% or even 100% of their DNA matters to them. That is for that person to decide for themselves and no one else can tell them whether it matters or not. We recognise in adoption that biological family matters and donor conception is no different. And as to nature versus nurture, well, every child is obviously going to be different. But one very important thing about nature, apart from, you know, being the only one in your family who likes really, really hot dishes and suddenly have an explanation for that or, you know, having a penchant for bike riding and no one else does and you never have anyone else to go with, apart from little things like that, the really important thing about DNA is the ability to protect your own physical health. So knowing what inherited genetic disease you should look out for, get tested for, try to protect against and also knowing who your own biological family is so that you do not end up forming relationships with your half or full siblings. This is all incredibly important information to protect a person's physical health and also mental health and I cannot for the life of me understand why you would want to deny your own child this information. Yeah. And in the book, you've got an incredible story and statistics as well about how, you know, because when we talk about sperm donors, because there's often a lot of them and they can be frequent donators, you even found a sibling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, um, I found a few siblings now, but one of my friends turned out to be my half-sister which was Incredible. a surprise um, because we, we look nothing alike. You would never know if you passed us in the street. There is nothing about us which is a tell in any sort of, you know, physical sense. But in fact, when you look at the amount of DNA we share in the range of DNA shared by half-siblings, we're not at the low end of that spectrum. We share a relatively high amount of DNA. And... It's been wonderful to realise that my friend is my sister, but I think it also illustrates just how likely it is that you will come across a half-sibling in your life and you will need to know who they are. Yeah, that, that is incredible. Do you have the statistics on, like, I, I think somebody crunched the numbers in the UK about how likely you were to possibly come across a sibling that you might be attracted to. Mm. So this is, um, this is obviously a very icky topic, but yeah, a journalist called Ross Clark in the UK 
uh, tried to calculate the risk of accidental incest for British donor-conceived people. Now, there are several important things to note here. First of all, Ross Clark was only trying to calculate the risk for the children born of 17 donors because those 17 donors in the UK between them had fathered more than 510 children. And he was able to calculate that risk, or have it stab at it anyway, because he knew those statistics. He knew those numbers. He knew that 17 men had donated sperm and fertility clinics around the country had gone on to create more than 510 babies. So in Australia, we don't have any sort of national register of donors. We would not be able to make those same calculations. And we have no idea across the country how many children each donor has fathered or mothered. But Ross Clark, just for those 17 men alone, calculated that the risk of accidental incest amongst their offspring would be 1 in 1,060. Which, you know, <laughs> it's hard to understand with numbers what a number really means. In my research, I've discovered that Down syndrome, for instance, among children, um, occurs at a rate of roughly 1 in 1,000. So think about the people in your life. Do you know anyone with Down syndrome? I do. I have someone in my life who has Down syndrome. So the likelihood then for just the offspring of those 17 men alone is, is there someone in your life that you know who is related to you? The incredibly shoddy way that uh, donor conception has been handled in Australia was something that you exposed when you were trying to, to research your origins. Yeah, so... Um, there are no national laws around donor conception or, in fact, the fertility industry in Australia. Only half the states and territories have bothered to enact any laws either. And where they exist, they exist for children, like literally children. So in New South Wales, for instance, where I am, donor-conceived kids born after the 1st of January 2010 will have the details of their donor uh, recorded in a state government register. Not any of their siblings, they will never have the right to know who their siblings are, but if they know they are donor-conceived, the name of their donor is there. However, that applies only to 11-year-olds and those younger than 11, and for everyone else in New South Wales, thousands, tens of thousands, I don't know because no one's kept the numbers, there is nothing. So when I went back to my fertility clinic, which was the fertility clinic of the Royal North Shore Hospital, which is a public hospital, one of the largest and biggest and oldest in Australia, I was told, first of all, that I had no right to access the records of my conception because they did not recognise me as having any sort of right of access to it. My mother was the patient, they were hers. They had literally made me, but I was, in their eyes, nothing. And once I gained my mother's permission to access those files, before I'd even picked them up, they told me that the key information in it relating to my biological father had quite literally been cut out and destroyed so when you look at the file, there are only two pages that actually relate to how they made me. And in each of those two pages, there is a hole where a column has been cut out and then a piece of blank paper has been stuck over the top with sticky tape and the whole mess has been photocopied so that there are no answers to find ever. And what they cut out was not the name of my biological father because they never would have let that anywhere near my mother's file. What they cut out was his donor code and what that code does is it tells you how many children a single donor has fathered or mothered and also if there is any, for instance, transmittable disease for any of the resulting children or for the donor 
without that code, you cannot trace who has contracted what or who needs to be warned about what. And so <laughs> I just, I find it absolutely reprehensible that this was done, but it was done in a public hospital in one of the, you know, landmark fertility clinics in the land. And in the course of writing this book, I have been told that this also happened at another 10 clinics across the country, which is by no means the final number. I don't think that to the clinic you were nothing. And I don't, I don't think to your parents either who were on this sort of quest to become parents. I mean, did they have any other children or were you their only chance at having a baby? I didn't say I was nothing to my parents. No, but to the I clinic. I said that in the eyes of the fertility clinic, I was nothing because the person being treated is a patient has rights to answers and to files and to know things, but the product of that treatment created by the clinic is not recognised as any sort of entity to which they have to respond at all. Yeah, I can see that in a, a sort of legal point of view, but I, I would say that the clinic was delivering something very precious to your parents. Right. So uh, that's obviously your opinion. Hmm. Yeah, because for anyone that has been dealing with infertility, having a baby is such an important thing. So you're talking about parents once again, and to my parents, I was obviously very important. Mm. I'm their child. Mm. But the fertility, the baby business has never cared about the children it makes. And the Royal North Shore Hospital, whose fertility clinic made me, when I went public with details of donor code destruction back in oh, 2015 or 2014 or something like that, I forced them to conduct not one but two investigations into what on earth the fertility specialists at that clinic were doing. And it turned out that tampering with files and donor code destruction was systemic. It affected, by their reckoning, dozens of women, although I don't think that's the final answer by any means. And when they came up with these findings, they refused to give me a copy of the report. They refused to let me know anything about the full extent of what they'd discovered, but they did say they would not be contacting any of the families affected to let them know what had been done to the information for their children. The people that you've met through your search, does everybody feel the same way as you do or is there some variation? Uh, well, there's always going to be a variation yeah. amongst everyone's difference. But I would point you to, so so much research is conducted on donor-conceived people by others and quite often these are people with a conflict of interest themselves and they are content to let parents, for example, speak for their own children. But there is an international survey conducted by donor-conceived people, which is an annual survey of hundreds of donor-conceived people around the world. And what they find year on year is that donor-conceived people say, you know, the vast majority agree with statements like, my donor is half of who I am, if they only have one donor, or it is important for me to be able to contact you know, to have the information about who my biological siblings are or my family is. It is important for me to have family medical information. And there is another finding which has emerged in recent years, which is fertility clinics slash sperm banks 
do not adequately understand or accommodate the emotional needs of donor-conceived people. What would you like to change about donor conception in Australia? Look, most things. So the problem that I have with donor conception is that the rights of the child are not upheld in a meaningful way across the country. At the end of 2019, I went to speak at the United Nations with a group of donor-conceived and surrogacy-born people. And despite, you know, more than a century of donor conception anyway, this was the first time the United Nations had actually heard from a group of people made by this industry, as opposed to everyone else who has an interest in us but is not us. Afterwards, we drafted our own international principles for donor conception and surrogacy. And these are very basic measures. They're things like records should be held by the state in perpetuity and all donor-conceived people are entitled to know the truth about their origins and all donor-conceived people should have a right to know who their biological parents are and their biological siblings and do not make babies from the dead. So if people are dead, do not use their gametes to create life. But the thing is, no country in the world currently complies with all these principles. Not even Australia, especially not Australia. And that is what we are seeking. Is Australia particularly bad in amongst the, the countries that do work in donor conception? Um, I would say it's somewhere around the middle. You know, people will say to me, oh, but all donor-conceived people have the right to know parents or, you know, whatever now. And that is a mis- misconception which persists. The thing is, only one state in Australia has passed laws that allow all donor-conceived people to access the records which tell them who their biological parents are, if those records exist, if they've been destroyed, tough. That's the state of Victoria. And the thing is, when Victoria enacted those laws, it was the first jurisdiction anywhere in the world to do so. So this kind of everything is fine now myth persists, but it is not fine. It is very far from fine. And I I worry that people think that everything is okay in donor conception and it is a, a legitimate choice, whereas in fact... It is a minefield composed of many, many, many mines. There are going to be people listening right now who have children that are conceived from donor conception, that they may be pregnant with those babies right now or they might be holding them in their arms. And what would you like to say to those parents about how they should handle the future going forward? So, you know, I I write about this in my book. If, If you have a child conceived by donor conception... Tell them the truth, you know, about their own origins as soon as possible, preferably right from the start, and make sure that you have the information about who their biological parent is and who their half-siblings are. And if you are denied access to that information by, for example, a fertility clinic or a sperm bank, then raise hell on behalf of your child to get that information because it is not good enough to say well, my child will be fine. They need, there needs to be a, a concrete basis on which you can say my child will be fine, my child will be able to take care of their own mental, mental and physical health growing up because they know their family medical history, because they know who their siblings are. And I should say that I am talking about the fertility industry and their practice of donor conception. There is 
a different method where, for instance, a same-sex couple will get a friend of theirs to be a known donor. And as long as that friendship survives, the child will grow up knowing not only who their biological parent is, but if that donor, the friend, goes on to have kids in their own life, the child will also know their siblings. And that is a very different scenario. Quite literally, I have never come across a donor-conceived person made by a fertility clinic where the donor has come through the clinic who says with confidence that they know who all of their siblings are. I do wonder how things might have been different if you had known from the start. Obviously would have saved you an awful lot of grief and and anger that that you must be experiencing now. Actually, I'm fine. (laughs) I've had a very long time to think about this. But you can dismiss my experience as she wouldn't be saying this if she'd grown up with the truth. But if I'd grown up with the truth, none of the structural problems would have been solved. My fertility clinic still would have destroyed records. Yes. I would still have no ability to know who all my half-brothers and sisters are. I would still have to resort to effectively selling my DNA to a private company based in the US in order to find my own biological father. And I would not be the only one. All although, the other donor-conceived people yeah, in Australia would still be in a similar position. Yeah, although perhaps the difference would have been that you would have felt that your parents were your advocates and they were on your side fighting to find this out. Yeah, but that wouldn't have actually changed any of the problems I just mentioned. No, no, no. but, but it, it, having no, someone in your corner is having, an advantage, I would have thought. Um, it is when you want access to the records of the conception, but as I've just stated, those records don't actually contain the name of your biological parent anyway, much less any sort of record of your siblings. And in my case, even the basic information they contained had been destroyed. Yeah. There's a new kind of donor conception available as well for for couples that are experiencing infertility, and that is people that have got embryos that are frozen that they're not going to use. People that are so desperate to become parents really need to keep that eye on the future and how they are going to maintain that relationship. I think you basically need to treat your child with the same respect that you would desire for yourself, whether that child exists already or not. So if you would not be happy not knowing who your biological father or your biological mother are, or both, then do not set up a situation where your child does not have that information. And if you would not be happy not knowing how many siblings you have or who they are, then do your best to avoid that situation for your child. But I think I would say as well that, as I outline in my book, donors are also at risk of exploitation. You mentioned donated embryos just now. There is a story of one woman, an Australian woman called Natalie Parker, in my book, who decided to donate her quote-unquote leftover embryos, in as much as an embryo can ever said to be leftover, to another couple. And it went very, very, very wrong. And effectively, Natalie says that her child was stolen because one of her embryos was successfully implanted in another woman who simply dropped off the radar of everyone, including the fertility clinic, and entered the system as just another pregnant woman pretending that this was her baby. So this is the full brother of Natalie's own children, and she had only donated on the condition that that child would be known to her own children. And instead, none of that occurred, and Natalie knows that this child exists. The state government has admitted 
that the child this woman has is the result of an embryo donated by Natalie and her husband, but they do not have that relationship. And Natalie now has to explain to her two own boys why they have a brother who doesn't know who they are, who they can't see. So I would say that donor conception is rife with problems and that interpersonal guarantees are by no means any assurance of the right sort of conditions in which to bring up a child and we desperately need to pass national laws regulating the fertility business. Sarah Dingle, Brave New Humans is the name of her book and an amazing read for anyone considering using donor DNA. To follow this story, next week we're going to talk to a fertility doctor who deals with donor conception a lot. Her view of the process, as you can imagine, is somewhat different to Sarah's. I think it's an extraordinary gift, the gift to someone to allow them to become a parent, the gift of life. It literally is the gift of life. I, I think that donors are extraordinary people. And again, an interesting perspective to consider. If you know somebody that you think might be interested in listening to this interview again, it's available as a podcast on iTunes and the ABC Listen app and online on the Baby Talk website. You can easily share the podcast by sending a link via text or messenger. I'm Penny Johnston. I'll see you next time on Baby Talk. ABC Baby Talk is a weekly podcast on ABC Radio, wherever you get your podcasts and on the ABC Listen app. Like us on Facebook to find out as soon as a new episode is ready. Just search for ABC Baby Talk. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.